All right, well, we had a family Sunday last Sunday. Families can be very interesting, can't they? They, they can get the extended family. The, the larger your family is, the more interesting it can get. I'd like you to know it was, it was the same in Jesus' family. Uh, I don't know if you recognize this or remember this, but, but Jesus' family got pretty complicated. Um, when his family saw how busy he was and how many people were coming to be helped by him, they assumed that he was going crazy. They, they, they literally were considering taking him by force and institutionalizing him, taking him uh, away, right? And so uh, the, Mark tells us when his own people heard of this, they went out of, to take custody of them, for they were saying he has lost his senses. They were ready to seize him. And Jesus saw that, and as he saw the family trying to get to him, and then he saw the crowd that followed him, he said, you know who my real family is? It's those who listen to what I say. These are my brothers and sisters here. And then as those around him began to follow him, and they became his disciples, as they followed Jesus, some of their family members did not like that, and they cut them off. And they ignored Jesus' words, and they... Uh, started to institutionalize them. In fact, some of them killed them. Um, but they, they rejected them. And so Jesus looked at his followers who were being rejected by their family, and, and he said, listen, if you follow me, and for my sake you lose family, or brothers, sisters, houses, lands, for the gospel's sake, you will receive a hundred more. And, and so what he's talking about there is the brothers and sisters in the Christian faith that become your close acquaintances and uh, closer even than uh, perhaps your family you were born with. And so as a family, we help one another. We love one another. Um, at times it's a burden to do so, but we bear up under one another's burdens. We don't look down on one another, but the Heavenly Father has brought us into the same household and we've been purchased by the blood of the Son. And so we long to be an encouragement and help to one another. We want to protect those in the family that others are trying to hurt, even those that are the most vulnerable. And this is the language of Galatians. Galatians. We've opened up to Galatians, and we're already in chapter 6 today. And so, so chapter 1 through 6, we're kind of at the end as we look in the text today. But this is the language of Galatians. It's the language of family. And honestly, as I hear anyone say anything bad about our church, and uh, it, it upsets me. If somebody does or says something bad about you, um, it doesn't happen often, but I hear it like there's some emotional response of anger. Uh, and that's what happens with family. If somebody cuts down your family member, you're like, hey, that's my mom you're talking about there. That's my brother you're talking about there. And so we may see the little idiosyncrasies, but we're like, but you don't talk bad about well, in this region, some people had come in and were actually trying to cause dissension and were speaking ill of others. And, and Paul uses some frank words in this letter. Um, even uh, not, not necessarily cursing, but literally cursing. Literal curses on those who would go and speak against the others in the family. And so we can understand uh, maybe our spiritual family, when this happens, an emotional response. 
These people that were coming in, were coming in to tear down, they were actually religious. They were, they were those that are externalists, we could say. They were so focused on the external matters of religiosity that they tore down those that weren't keeping everything to the letter, but had the internal things taken care of. You know, religion can be very oppressive. Uh, often it uses external forms of conduct that require towing the line in order to be accepted by the community. You see this in all different religions. And some of them can be very scriptural, that you see, wow, yeah, that's, that's something we should all carry out. But others of them are just like made up by tradition. And they become the thing that pushes uh, acceptance in the family. That's what was going on in Galatia. Uh, this is a small region here in Turkey. And uh, Paul spent some time in here. This is actually his third missionary journey, but uh, he spent uh, other time here as well. In this area of Galatia, you see these little towns. Actually, Paul was stoned and left for dead in this region uh, when he first came there. And when he came back, he took Timothy um, as a disciple um, to follow him. And uh, Timothy followed Paul as he followed Jesus. But here's a, a region where the opposition to the gospel through an external form of religion that was, in that case, Judaism. It was a Pharisaic Judaism that, that was focused so much on the externals that they, that they were separating from those who believed in, in grace alone. And so as you read through the book, that's exactly what flows out of it. In fact, I could summarize it in this sentence. Um, Galatians says this, Don't be foolish. You do not retain favor with God through good deeds. The gospel not only saves us, but sanctifies us through the power of the Holy Spirit to love one another. You divide it into three primary sections, and you have that in your notes there. Uh, the first two points really explain this, and then the third point kind of applies it. It applies it to us. Okay, So the first two points, right? so this is no charge at all. We're going to run through Galatians in 78 seconds, maybe. Hopefully 78 seconds. I'm just going to read this. Uh, point one, Paul says, I am shocked that you are tricked into thinking you can retain God's favor by doing lawful deeds. I am shocked that you believe that. You came to believe Jesus and you were born again. How in the world do you think you can maintain your salvation through doing good deeds? It says, those who say otherwise who try to add to the gospel by doing external works of right, righteousness are cursed. Those are the words he used. Look in your Bible at Galatians 1 verse 6. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached, he is to be accursed. Even if someone is prominent, if they try to add the external works, try to add the external to grace, they are wrong and should be confronted. And so he does that. Verse 11 of chapter 2, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And so we find the apostle Paul confronting the Apostle Peter about his associations. 
Point two, you're foolish to think that you can receive a right standing with God through faith and yet have to keep a moral code to retain this salvation. Similar idea. You receive, but this is where he starts focusing on the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, not through the works of the law. Abraham's blessing versus the curse. The blessing through Abraham's descendant, Christ, is to all, not just those under the law. This blessing came through his seed, his descendant, which is Christ. And that is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Illustration two, children and bond slaves. When faith in Christ came, we turned from slaves to children. And so we're no longer under the slavery to the law. Schoolmaster, we've come to become children under grace. And so he contrasts these two covenants, the covenant of law and the covenant of grace, Hagar and Sarah. So be free through God's spirit. The application of that is live through the power of God's Holy Spirit, not through the works of your external flesh. Don't focus on your, the, the, the trying of the keeping of the, the law. No, let the Holy Spirit live the new covenant through you. This is where he uses some more harsh words. Uh, he, again, he's talking about circumcision here. He says, I wish those who were deceiving you were mutilated. They just want to be thought favorably of, so they say what is popular, not what is right. So what was happening is those who were preaching grace alone were actually being persecuted by this group that was preaching, you have to add the external works of righteousness on top of that. And so Paul's preaching the free gospel of God's grace was being resisted with sometimes stoning. It was much easier just to say what everybody else wanted to hear. And so he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the gospel. But that, 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 that preaching of the gospel changes us. It's not from the outside in. It changes us from the inside out. And so the Holy Spirit resides within us. We can live a new life. And so that's what chapter 5, verse 16 to 6, verse 18 is all about. Because of Christ, we can, we can be free to live the new covenant of Christ's law. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 is a good summary of the whole letter. Let me read that for you. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again, he says. Verse 3. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. So he's saying you can't add the law to grace. You've been set free. So now we obey the principles of godliness from the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we, verse 5, who live by the Spirit, eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised, being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And so, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. And we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. And that is what brings us up to 6 verse 1. How we can serve one another. Okay, So we're going to just walk, and really we probably will only have time for verse 1. But I want these words to sink into our heart. 
To understand them correctly, though, you have to have chapters 1 through 5 kind of in the, the forefront of your thinking. So you have Galatians now kind of hopefully on, on the forefront of your, front of your brain, and, and you can apply it uh, through verse 1 of chapter 6. Okay, so with that, what is our responsibility to one another in church? He's going to apply the spirit-filled new covenant obedience. Well, first of all, we are to restore one another. Restore one another. Verse 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. I find this helpful when you're studying a passage to do this. I, I love uh, organizing it, the, the main ideas, under the main ideas, under the main ideas. And you can actually do this through a whole letter, and it would help you understand the flow of thought, especially in these letters where Paul writes all these phrases upon phrase upon phrase upon phrase. If you're not careful, you won't understand the big idea because you're caught on one of his rabbit trails. So this is a helpful way to look at it. Brethren, restore such a one, is really the, the kernel. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore one another. Our first command is to restore one another. The second command is to love one another, verse 2. And, and by God's grace, we'll just take a, a few minutes with that. Uh, but we really want to focus in on this idea of restoring one another and how we build one another up uh, through the power of the Spirit. Okay? Restore one another. Well, let's look first of all at the parties involved and then the action involved. First of all, what are, who are the parties involved? We're not talking about birthday parties. We're talking about people. Who are the different people that he refer, refers to? focuses on them first, and it's good to understand who he's talking about. Brethren, those are the hearers of this letter. He's referring to the Christian family. The Christian family. That's why he uses the term brethren. Brothers and sisters. He's not just talking to the men. Uh, this, is, this is to all of the family in the community of faith. All of you who are listening to this, who have turned to Jesus as your Savior. We look at one another as a family. We have been bought by the same blood, the blood of Jesus. Jesus has brought us to the Father, and we all sit at the table, the Lord's table, together. Okay, so that's who he's talking about, but in that community, you're either one or the other of the next two. I trust all of you who are in this first group that you're brothers and sisters. You profess Jesus as your Savior. You're one of his followers. Then... You are either one or the other of these two. Brethren, you're either this first one, even if you are caught in a trespass, or this other one, you who are a spiritual restore such a one. You're one of those two. The first one, even if you are caught in any trespass. So we have this next group, those who are the taken, caught, a trespasser. Here's the first group of people. There are some folks who are taken. Uh, they're caught. Uh, if any one of you is caught. right? So the idea is not, well, this person, of course they got caught because they're lazy. Or uh, they're caught because they were uh, stupid, foolish. He says, anyone, any one of you 
could be caught. Okay? Do not take yourself out of that group. He's going to focus on that. Tim could be caught. Any one of you. Okay? If anyone is caught in any trespass. The idea of trespass is that they found them on the other side of God's desires. An area that's clearly laid out where they should not be. This is not a doubtful thing. I mean, it's smack in the middle of, or at the end of this letter to Galatians where he's saying don't focus on the externals. So we're not talking about externals here, but there are some clear commands that God gives us to carry out. And at times we cross that line and we're caught in a trespass. Um, and, and, and so there's this passive sense. Like you've either someone caught you or, or the idea is actually that you're kind of almost surprised. How did I end up here? And so perhaps you were just slowly drifting that way and slowly drifting that way. And then here's the line and you're slowly drifting. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't that you just woke up one day and you said, I'm really going to blow it today. You slowly, 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 and then you wake up and you're like, wow, how did, I, how did I become a transgressor? How did I trespass on this person's property? Well, you did it one step at a time. It's the idea of the, the toad in the boiling water, right? The, the water gets warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer until eventually it, it cooks it. But it didn't feel that way at the very beginning. And, and so this is the way sin is with us. Sin just slowly courts us that way. And we get one step closer, one step closer to the boiling pot. And so as Christians, we don't want each other to boil. I don't want you to boil. And so talking about this is very gracious, right? We need to encourage each other to jump out of the pot. Turn the boiling water off. Okay, that's what this is about. Perhaps someone has slowly found themselves in employment that is blatantly unchristian. Perhaps someone has gotten involved in a relationship that they know is clearly out of bounds. Perhaps they've developed a pattern of actions that has brought on an addiction in life that has control of them. They don't have control over this substance or this activity, but this substance or activity has control over them. They didn't plan for it to happen. You didn't plan it. Of course you didn't we got to recognize that any one of us could be in that situation. Any one of us. It doesn't give us an excuse, but we need to recognize that this is what happens at times. Let me give you one more concrete example. One more illustration that this happens. This happened in a group of like-minded churches not too long ago. A man was considered a leader in that group, in the whole group. Among that group of churches, there were some individuals that, that started to gain some serious sway because they had, they had a little more sway with the headquarters. In denominations, this happens. Uh, it's all political. There's all these political ins and outs. And this happens in religious organizations. This happened. These people came from the, the inside group that knew what was going on in the kind of mother denomination. They were winsome, influential. They were actually very similar to this leader. They were similar to him. He got along better with them. Uh, they did things a certain way that he was used to. And when they came into that group of churches, he started associating with them. 
But then he started recognizing that the things they were doing actually went beyond what Scripture said. The things that they were demanding went beyond what Scripture said. But he was fearful. He wanted to fit in. He wanted to blend in. This group started alienating others. They started just eating together. They just started, they started uh, pushing aside and ostracizing others. The church leader, instead of confronting them, sided with them because he wanted to be in with the in crowd. He followed their religious externals and needed to be confronted. And anyone know who that is? It's Peter, the Apostle Peter. And Paul confronts him in Galatians chapter 2. That's exactly what the Apostle Peter was doing. Peter saw these Jewish leaders that were much more influential in Jerusalem, and they started coming. These, like They're not associating anymore with the Gentiles. They're not associating anymore with the church. They're just trying to make their own special club built on their externals. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for he did what he did was very wrong, Paul said. Listen, if Peter could fall into something like this, any of us could. And so Paul confronted him, and he responded, and he believed, and repented. So, what is true of them? They were taken by sin. And again, this can happen with any of us. So what are we to do when someone is taken in a trespass? What happens when you discover that someone has fallen aside? Well, what do you do? You are to restore them. Those who are spiritual are to restore them. So who's this restorer? All of you who are spiritual can restore them. All right, that's quite a word today, isn't it? If you were to ask people on the street if they considered themselves spiritual, I'm, I'm thinking that you would get some really interesting answers. Today, the idea of being spiritual is in vogue. You can be Oprah and be spiritual. You can be a witch and be spiritual. I'm serious. That's, that's what that means. Anything can be spiritual. Right? I remember this when I was working... Uh, midnights, and one of the buddies I really got along with had, had no Christian bone in his body, clearly not following Jesus. But he said, Tim, I kind of get along with you as a pastor because I can sense you're spiritual and I'm spiritual. Like, you're spiritual. Okay, good. What, what does that mean? He's like, well, see that tree over there? I, just kinda, I, I feel a connection with that. Like there was just this world vibe that he felt he was with. That was the idea of spiritual. So there's any, who knows, there's no end to definition of spiritual. So what is he talking about, you who are spiritual? Spiritual here is of or pertaining to the spiritual realm and not the physical realm. That's the idea as it's used in Scripture. But in the context, somebody tell me what this is referring to. Help us out here. Who's going who's gonna to be real brave and spiritual? <laughs> he just talked about what? Galatians 5. What's well, in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life as you're born again, He, he enables you to live a different way. He controls you and fills you to live a different way. 
That's what he's talking about. The, 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 uh, you have Galatians 6 there. That, this is the hardest thing with our Bibles. You shouldn't have a The 6 wasn't in the original, right? So sometimes we see 6-1 and we're like, well, that's totally different from what's before. But you know what was before? He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. All of you should be filled with the Spirit. All of you should be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God manifesting his fruit. This is not talking about a third-tier Christianity where someone finally gets to the point where they are spiritual so they can speak with their brother or sister about what's going on in their life. That is a wrong view. So there's a wrong secular view of spirituality, but there's a wrong Christian view of spirituality. I was speaking with a man in Brooklyn when I went to that church. I was a youth pastor there, but uh, there was a guest speaker, and he really focused on this idea of this higher spirituality and and he tied it to your prayers being answered. And it was kind of vexing me a little bit because he focused so much on it. Uh, and I was talking to one of the, the dear brothers that was real, just as gruff as Brooklyn as you can get. And he's like, I tell you what, no one, maybe pastor, is spiritual like that. Maybe, maybe the assistant pastor, but no one else. And it, it vexed my heart because the Bible doesn't teach that. You know who's spiritual? Peter, who's having trouble. Paul, who you find having trouble. Peter, James, and John, who are fighting. You, all of us, should be spiritual. All of us, at all times, should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's not a higher level that only a few people attain to where their prayers are answered and no one else's is. That is not the case at all. We need to make make sure to recognize that all of us are required to be this spiritual person, this restorer. All right, let's keep moving here. I want to clarify, that wasn't Pastor Bickle who was preaching that way. It's my pastor in Brooklyn who was a guest speaker. I can't remember if I said that, but make sure I clarify that. Um, But it was vexing me that this person was led to believe that only a few people could be spiritual. No way. All of us should be spiritual. All of you are equipped to counsel one another, to encourage one another. So what is it then? What is this restoration? What is the action itself? We've got to keep moving here, move quickly here. The action is to restore This is what we are to be. We're filled with the Holy Spirit in order to restore one another. To put back into a former position. This is a word that's used in doctor's books at the time to refer to setting a broken bone. My first bone came in South Jersey at my pastor's house when I was six, playing birdie. Jumped off the porch and cracked. There goes my arm. Well, the pastor uh, set my arm while rushing me to the hospital with a ruler. And the hospital said that was really helpful. I can't remember which arm it is, but really helpful to to restore my arm to usefulness because it was set and it wasn't crushed any further. This is used of the disciples as they mend their nets. They mend, they restore their nets. These nets have holes in them and they're not useful with the holes in them. So you don't throw those nets aside. They don't cease being fishing nets. 
No, you bring them along and you spend some extra time with them and restore them to usefulness. That's what this word is. That's what we're to do for one another. We are to restore that brother or sister who's caught in a fault. We do this through God's word. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that person may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The scriptures are what God uses through his spirit to restore one another. They're the needle and thread. They're the, the oh, what's that called? The thing that helps restore the bone. The ruler in that case. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. The truth is what grows us, but it must be spoken in love by another brother or sister. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As the word dwells in you richly, you all know that Galatians, I'm sorry, Ephesians and Colossians there, the parallel passage says the spirit dwells in you richly. The spirit fills you. Same idea as the word of Christ dwelling in you. As the Holy Spirit lives in you, the word makes its home in you. You are able to have words of comfort for the others. And so, with loving heart, we come to church and we say, boy, is there someone that really needs an encouraging word of grace? Who can I speak a word of truth and love to? Dear Holy Spirit, fill me to do this by your grace and for your glory. And I am really confident today that all of you are able to do this. This is not reserved for the pastors. This is not reserved for the apostles. This is not reserved for the prophets. This is reserved for everyone that comes to church. Paul says in Romans 15, 14, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. So if someone's caught in a trespass, what do they need? They need a loving brother or sister to come alongside and help restore them. What don't they need? They don't need condescension. They don't need whispering about them behind their back. They don't need someone coming to their face and say, going off of them in public saying how stupid that trespass is. They need someone who will graciously, lovingly take them aside and encourage them in the faith to walk according to the word. Gently, gently. The attitude of restoration is in the spirit of gentleness looking to yourself. Um, Gentleness is the attitude, the spirit with which we, re, we are required to restore one another. That's what a family needs. This is what's hard for a dad, especially as he gets older. Not just to speak the truth, but to be speaking the truth gently, kindly. And this is the same in the church. It's an attitude of gentle friendliness. That's the word there, an attitude of gentle friendliness. Tim, that's not how I roll. I'm not like that. That's not how God made me. That doesn't matter. We're to be filled with the Spirit. And that's how the Spirit rolls. That's how the Holy Spirit handles these things. You know how I know that? Look in your Bible. What I did here is I drew a line under that word gentleness. And I went straight up to the fruit of the Spirit. 
And you find the same word there, don't you? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then verse 23 of chapter 5, gentleness. This is how all of us should roll if we're filled with the Spirit. Considering that person, considering their privacy, considering their, um, their welfare, their benefit. This is how all of us roll as we're filled with the Spirit. Why do we have this spirit of graciousness, gentleness, looking to ourselves? Why? The reason, uh, because we know that we also will be tempted. Um, We just have to believe this. And and I keep mentioning this because this is what the Holy Spirit mentions here in Galatians. Listen, you, you may be on the other side of that table later. You may be the other side of that turn. That transgression, you're the one that they're encouraging. You're like, wow, I didn't even think of that. I'm so, thank you. And so we have to be looking to ourselves so that we also will not be tempted. And I really do believe that if, if, if you enter a spirit of critical, uh, of being very critical of everyone, that, that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. So be gracious to others. Jesus uses the comical illustration of someone who's trying to pull out a splinter out of someone else's eye, which is delicate and dangerous work. But you have this huge, and he says, plank. And we're talking two by four. There's this two by four in your eye, and you're coming over. You can't hardly get close to the guy because you have this huge board in your eye. Jesus says, no, pull that plank out of your eye, then help the person. You be so careful. And I have recognized this in my own life so often that when I, as soon as I... start looking at someone else. I have these three fingers pointing back at me. And often it's the same. Like if you start seeing a fault with someone, just look at yourself. Because you probably have the same exact fault in just a little different shade. I see it so often in my life and I'm embarrassed. That often when I say, boy, that's, a, that's what's wrong with that person. I, I got to say, okay, then, then clearly it's a mirror and it's happening to me too. And you say, that would never be me. Then, then you need to change your attitude. Because this, this passage is telling us to think that way. It's telling us that we need to consider ourselves. Because I recognize that I may be the person next week struggling with the same temptation. Okay? All right. So we need to be spiritual. Restoring one another. Uh, and you can do this. You can do this. And this is, what our, this is what our church is all about. Our church is all about encouraging one another to grow one another to where we're building up one another into the image of Christ. And we spent a lot more time with this in our uh, Sunday school time, but this is what our grace groups is all about. It's helping us connect together in smaller groups where we can really get to know one another, see what we're struggling with, and encourage each other to stand in the faith, stand strong. All right, so you say, I don't believe that. I don't know if I can do that. Well, I would say if you, if you don't believe that, then you're relying on the wrong thing. And churches that don't believe that the people can do this, they're relying on the wrong thing. Um, if you say, I need a seminary degree to do this, then you're relying on a seminary, seminary degree and not the Holy Spirit. You say, I need to be 75 to be able to do that. Well, then you're relying on age and not the Holy Spirit. I need to be a pastor or a deacon to do that then you're relying on a position in a church and not on the Holy Spirit. You see where the strength of this comes from? Where the cut to this is? We all can do this because we all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Okay? 
Very good. So any of you who are caught in a trespass today, please open up about it. We're not going to throw you under the bus. We're not going to stone you. We're going to let Jesus bow down beside you and start writing on the dirt and say, he who is without sin cast the first stone. All of us have sinned. We all need the family community to love one another, to encourage one another in the faith. All right, we are out of time. So, I, and I hadn't planned on getting into this next one, but I just, I just want to encourage, just show you how this all fits together because it, he does clarify something here. Uh, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. There's these two commands. Okay, so you restore one another, and that's going to be a lot of work, especially someone who's gone a long way down that path of transgression. And so we restore one another, and that's going to be a lot of work, so it's going to be like bearing a heavy burden. And so we all need to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. The reason for that humility, uh, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, so this goes two ways. If you think down on someone else for them becoming a transgressor, then, then really be careful because all of us should not think anything of ourselves. Any grace in me is because of Jesus. But this goes another way. If you would say, I can't do this, you're also thinking too much of yourself. Because it's the Holy Spirit who does it. And so you come to church, you just say, dear Holy Spirit, use me. I'm an empty vessel. And and so we start the, the service with approaching God. We confess our sin to Jesus. And then we ask for his filling and enabling to build up one another. And then human responsibility. As we bear one another's burdens, as we encourage one another, that doesn't mean we can just not focus on our own heart. So each one of you must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not regard to another. So this does not get away from human responsibility. Uh, I'm supposed to continue to keep short account with God, go to the Lord's table, uh, confess my sin to God. And then it says, verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. This is really interesting, because what did he say here in verse 2? Bear one another's burdens. Verse 5, for each will bear his own load. Well, which one is it? Well, this, would, this is probably referring to saying, listen, bear one another's burdens, but that doesn't give you a reason to do nothing. I just say, well, I'm going to float along and let the church totally carry me. Um, and so the idea, I, I like one translator who's, He'll paraphrase that says, but bear your own knapsack, right? Listen, God gives you a backpack. It's a broken world that all of us have to carry, right? So, so be careful not to throw your backpack that God wants you to carry upon someone else. Uh, there's certain things that we're responsible for, okay? All right, so that's those few verses just very quickly. But the ones we really want to focus on there is restore one another. Uh, you need to be connected to a church where Christians know you, and where you know Christians. So you can be restored and you restore others. You be filled with the Holy Spirit as you come to church. You need to know Scripture and graciously share it with others. The Scripture is what will change. Listen to others. Encourage them back to a life of consistent Christ-like character. I took a picture of this. This is St. John the Divine Fiscal Church in the city. Uh, on the Upper West Side, and uh, I was, it's a beautiful building, especially on the side, 
ornate, so cool, but it's like grimy and dirty. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that, but what I saw is the upper right hand, they're restoring it. Isn't that great? They're making it look pretty again. That's so much better than just tearing it down. This is our calling as Christians. Uh, we're not called to tear one another down. When you see the fault, the transgression in a brother or sister, restore them. Bring them back to usefulness. One pastor illustrated this way, by God's divine grace, he can bring even good out of our failures. Tells the story of a Stuart Holden who had an old Scottish mansion uh, close to a summer home and uh, filled the walls in their home with sketches made by distinguishing artists. Well, someone spilled something all across the wall and it was ugly and uh, left a stain. A noted artist saw that it was a guest at the house, and when the family was out one day, stayed behind and used that as a basis for a beautiful waterfall. It became one of the most successful depictions of life in that land. What was disfigured became beautiful. And this is true in all of our lives, as God restores us to the way he desires us to, to be in Christ-likeness. But he uses you and me as the artist to see and encourage. And I need this. You need this. We all need this by God's grace. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I trust the Lord uses text to encourage you in the faith, encourage you to be uh, growing in Christ-likeness. And perhaps there's something you'd say, boy, I'm in a trespass in this area. And God used... Uh, the preaching of Galatians 6 to encourage me away from that, then please do that. Please set that aside and walk in uh, likeness to Jesus. Perhaps you have a brother or sister you know is in that category. They're in a fault. Then lovingly, not with condescension, lovingly think of a time to approach them about that. Encourage them. It may take 10 meetings once a week to encourage them. That would be worth it. Restore that person. The Lord wants to restore each of us. Let's spend some time in prayer. In a moment, we'll close in prayer. If you'd like counsel, you'd like to pray with me, be standing in the back lobby. In just a moment, we'll close in prayer.